General Vagon has called the Battle of France is over. The Battle of Britain is about to begin. Welcome to the Lead Pursuit Podcast, a podcast covering Blood Red Skies, a game of World War II aerial combat. Good evening and welcome to the Lead Pursuit Podcast. Tonight's podcast is going to be a little bit different because while we do have a special guest, we're going to spend some time talking about Veterans Day, some veterans wargaming questions, some questions from members of the audience. Uh, and we're obviously going to talk about some of the news about Blood Red Skies, but there's going to be a lot of different subjects. So if you came here just to hear Blood Red Skies tactics, hear about Blood Red Skies painting techniques, you might want to skip this episode. It may not be as heavy into Blood Red Skies as you want. As we were searching for a guest, you know, we thought, who do we bring on? Who do we talk to that's got a unique perspective? Somebody that'll, that'll really help ground us in what we need to know about Blood Red Skies. And none of those guys were available. So you know what? I called up the pusher. That's right himself, John Russell, and said, John, please be on the podcast tonight. So, John, we're glad to have you on as our backup. Of course, I don't mind being second fiddle, round two. It's all cool. And, uh, yes, that would be me, the pusher. Thanks, guys. Happy Veterans Day. Raise your glasses to all those before, here, present, and future. And uh, thank you guys for being here and for your service. Hey, John, this is Brett. Glad to have you. Absolutely. Glad you're back in the house, no matter what Doug says. Keep sending me models. You're, you're, you're on my Christmas list. Roger Copy, you just said let me know. And like I told you guys, uh, I'll be over in, in uh, headquarters land from about the 4th of December to the 11th of December so I can dig around in the, in the studios and try to um, uh, confiscate. No, that's not right. Uh, free up? Yeah, that's it. And the Russell Fly-By-Night Service is here for you guys. Take care. I, I, know, I know Brett would probably do some really illegal stuff, even involving farm animals, if you could score some JU-88s. <laughs> you bet you <laughs> Yeah, we're pretty much all desperate here. Me for some Judge Dredd stuff. Uh, the other guys for some airplanes. Not that I have finished all my airplanes. But give us a quick rundown, John. You've been to a couple gaming events uh, here recently. What's been on your schedule and what's in the upcoming schedule for you? Well, we got back from Michigan GT, and, it was, and, and there's a funny story there about me and Chris, and we'll talk about that later. Uh, but I got back from there, and I actually had a two-week period, so I was able to uh, get some stuff painted. I painted up uh, a 1,000 points of uh, North Koreans for my bolt-action Korea stuff, and then we're back on the road. We just finished, uh, got got back uh, late last night from uh, Round Rock, Texas, and MillenniCon, and I got to tell you guys, I love MillenniCon. It's a nice 500, 400, 500-person uh, 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 event. We have a lot of black... Uh, uh, a bolt action going on. Had some independent guys running uh, uh, some cruel seasons, some beautiful table of uh, uh, Blood Red Skies. Guy had uh, 3D printed some HE-111s, and Mike did a fantastic job of, of running that. And I showed him your Malta scenarios, and he was loving that. And then we had a guy, uh, Scotty Hendricks, was running uh, Scott Hendricks. I always call him Scotty. Scott Hendricks came down from Dallas and was doing a bunch of uh, shield wall, uh, Hail Caesar, Pike and Shot, Black Powder, and a bunch of Gates of Antares. Then we had a huge, huge uh, bolt action game down there, and we always enjoy that. And uh, Millennium Con's always a ball. And then uh, next weekend, we'll be up at uh, Kansas City for Midwest Game Fest. And then after that, I'll be up in uh, Plymouth, Minnesota for Renegade GT, and I'll be hanging out with the Snafu Podcast Boys. And uh, my sister lives <laughs> three minutes away from the venue, so I'll be staying up there for Thanksgiving, see my dad and pops, a Korean War veteran, and uh, hang out there, and then come back. Back, run over to the pond, check out that, and then I'll be done, and they'll be home for Christmas. And a little, oh, maybe a side trip to Colorado, but that's the schedule so far. Nice. Well, the, you know, the thing that we've all been talking about is, is seeing how everybody has kind of been on the road for the last uh, couple of weeks. A lot of really impressive aircraft that are out there. Guys have done some some great work out there, painting up airplanes, uh, getting them on the table. And you sit there in the Blood Red Skies ready room, and it's kind of funny. Uh, at least I have wargaming envy, because most of the time, I'm looking at it, it's like during the work day when I should be filing papers or writing a trip report or something, and I'm watching all the games that everybody else has played. Um, but it's good to know that guys are out there playing, guys are out there having a fun time. I know Brett and I got a chance to play uh, a couple scenarios at an airstrike, do some Malta action uh, a couple weekends ago, and that was fun. But it certainly doesn't scratch the itch like uh, getting into the convention mindset and just playing over and over and over again. Well, and Chris was there. He, he'd see it for his own eyes. But there's there's something about having over a hundred plus airplanes on the table at one time was was pretty damn impressive. Oh, I was out of this world. The the setup that you guys had going at um, Michigan GT. 
Well, hopefully we're going to have a good setup uh, for Adepticon. You know, we're trying to get a couple different things going between, you know, some Malta scenarios, some MIG Alley work that's going to go on. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot of guys wanting to play Battle of Britain or some other uh, World War II venues. Uh, so that should be really fun. Uh, what I will say is to everyone listening to the podcast, if you're coming to Adepticon, please let us know. Drop us a line either in the Blood Red Skies Ready Room, uh, on Facebook, on Instagram, on the website. Uh, just let us know so we can get a rough idea how many tables we need to set up, how much we, uh, we're going to be uh, putting out there uh, to play. Uh, but once again, it's kind of it's bring your own airplanes. We'll have some painted airplanes there as well. So if you say, you know what? I don't have any squadrons painted up for Malta. I didn't buy any jets for MIG Alley. That's okay. Come play. We'll have the jets. We'll have the airplanes. We'll have Malta set up. Uh, and it should be a really good time. Well, and I think Chris will be bringing all the stuff for Stalingrad. And I'll try to bring some stuff for uh, the up-and-coming Midway uh, Blood Red Skies. So we'll be covering pretty much the whole world yet again with Blood Red Skies uh, at Adepticon. Nice. So well, tell us a little bit about the uh, upcoming Midway release or what you can tell us about it. Uh, it's gonna. The, Andy's gonna take the the three rule books, and it, we're, we're trying to get it so it's kind of a standalone. It's like a re-release of the Battle of Britain box set, so it's kind of targeted for us Yankees, as the as the uh, guys in the Brit, uh, our, our brothers across the pond, separated by the same language. Uh, I've said uh, Midway's kind of set up for uh, the interest of the U.S., so there's gonna be uh, dive bombers. Uh, there'll be uh, Hellcats. Maybe some 38s. There'll be some uh, carrier strike options. There'll be some uh, the scenarios will change. They'll kind of look the same, but they'll but they'll be more uh, slanted towards specific operations. And all three of the rule books will be put into one book. So so it'll be one rule book, and it'll go rehash all the stuff over, kind of like what the airstrike rule book does. So that way, if you if you buy the midway. You don't have to have the Battle of Britain box set. You can buy this box set. So what's in it, we're still kind of figuring it out. Uh, it's going to have a, a lot of different options for tie-ins to bolt action uh, and cruel seas because a lot of the American fleet that we have for cruel seas is that way. And there's some stuff coming down the pike that's going to loop all that together as well. So, you know, and soon after that, uh, in the fall, with uh, Palau and uh, Mariana's campaign coming up for blood red, for bolt action, so those will all go together as well. And, and if I can get it down up down down, well, it's up to Chicago. If I can finish it in time and figure out a way to get it up there, I'll have a one two hundred scale SS class carrier, so we can have some real fun. That's going to be a blast. That that will be that will be fun to have on the table. I know that's going to make Brett need to paint even more airplanes. Although he's got plenty of zeros, but. <laughs> I'm sure, Brett, you're already looking at the airplanes that you'd want for Midway, right? I think it's going to be awesome. I'm, you know, I'm having a hard time looking beyond Malta right now just because I have a lot to paint still for that. And I still want to do some, some bombers for, for um, MIG Alley, too. Yeah, I think that, that's going to be fun, but that's going to be a challenge, just uh, getting that much resin out and on the table and getting it all painted. Uh, but once again, you know, it's, we're going to have a lot of different options for people at Adepticon and you know, personally, I've enjoyed playing the multi scenarios that we've written and kind of playtesting through changing those things and, and getting some of the tweaks right. Uh, but I'll be honest, there actually was good news. I realized everyone else in the Blood Red Skies community cried a little bit this last week uh, when we heard that airstrike was delayed, but it bought me a little bit more time. So, John, tell us a little bit about the delay. Well, last year we had so many things going on. We had the, the phenomenal re release of uh, Cruel Seas, uh, you know, John's game, and that, that hit really hard. And we had the Black Friday, and we had the online sales, and we had the Bad Santa. So what happened was, is we got inundated. Everybody responded so incredibly well that some of our orders didn't get out till February, even late March, and that's not right. And we wanted to uh, pre prevent that, so what we've decided to do is, with the release of Black Seas, which came out last month, and we've already sold it out twice. We're on our third release now of 3,000 copies, so we're, we're, that should be at the end of the month. So with that coming out, and with the big man in the helmet, Judge Dredd, coming out, a third major release of of a, of a, of a uh, game system would have just overwhelmed our, our boxers and our packers. So we, we thought, no, let's go ahead and run with Black Seas. Let's go ahead and run with just right and then let's make sure that we don't miss any of our really cool christmas specials that everybody's learned to love and wait for but let's not let, let's not rush 
airstrike to just get it out. So let's go ahead and take some time. We've we've uh, pulled airstrike until February just to make sure it's right and to relieve some pressure and not shoot ourselves, shoot ourselves in the foot. Well, that's good to know. I mean, once again, I, I realize you say you care about your your stalkers and your packers, but you didn't bring me a copy of the Judge Dread set, so I'm gonna I'm gonna have to order a box set for these guys. So I'm just gonna add to the overall weight. No, 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 no. You just send me an email. I'll have a. I'm getting two trade bundles shipped to the house, uh, end of November, and I'm not going on a on a on the route on the uh, on the tour recon route until January, February. So I might have a copy fall off the back of the truck. You know how it is. <laughs> I appreciate that. Of course, it's more things I'll need to paint and. Brett's going to counsel me on how many airplanes I still don't have that are painted. So, Well, I'll just send him some uh, uh, Focal 190Gs I picked up at uh, MillenniaCon. They had a really good... I try to stay for, away from flea markets now ever since the debacle up in uh, Little Wars when I walked around with Big Wheel Greenslade and 15 minutes spent $400. I did, like I really needed to do that. But uh, I got some cool toys, but I try to stay away from flea markets now. But this one guy had 30 190Gs sitting there and he had, it, was, it was just a silly price. So I got 30 190 metal Gs sitting there, if 190s. So, I mean, if you need some for that Stalingrad stuff, just let me know. Uh, okay, so we've talked about, you know, upcoming Christmas sales. Yeah, there's one of those rumors that's always out there. John, a lot of guys are kind of getting excited for the Christmas sales, and they're thinking maybe there's a Blood Red Skies metal closeout. Let's let's clear out the warehouse stock. Is Could that be coming? All right, that could be. I'll find out. I'm going to be over there from the 4th to the 11th of December. I'll find out. I know we're moving more and more to the uh, – Chris saw – the uh, the water resin I'm really liking what I'm seeing and a lot of people are liking that and they're lighter don't need the big foot you know so we'll, we'll see a lot more of those uh, resin and plastics all of the dread release will be in resin and plastic there will be no metal in the dread right now that I know of so there's there's probably a good chance that there might be a clear out I don't know but I can find out yeah I think a lot of guys are are looking for their last chance to buy a couple of those things even though uh, I think the entire community is is waiting for all the re-releases in uh, in resin, but the fact is nobody's going to sneeze at getting models on a discount to uh, get those things moved off the shelves. Brett, I don't know about you, but uh, you know, even even with your frustrating experience with metal JU87s, I'm sure you'd definitely be in to uh, fill out the rest of your uh, Luftwaffe stocks. Yeah, I was last episode. I was telling a funny story about somehow I lost one of the little landing gear bits. So my squadron of six turned into a squadron of five. I've got one aircraft I can assemble, but it'll you know <laughs> See, always you be turning left. You buy a whole new box. <laughs> Just shoot me up a quick email and let me know exactly what you're missing. I'll pick those up for you and take care of that. Okay, sweet. Yeah, thank you. Okay, so we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back to talk about one of the most disturbing things that has happened to the Lead Pursuit podcast recently. No less than a traitorous bastard in our mix. Okay, and we're back. So you're probably wondering, what caused us to really determine we had a sellout, a traitorous individual amongst the Lead Pursuit podcast? Well, we were minding our own business, Chris and I, and getting ready to celebrate the birth of our Corps, our beloved Marine Corps, and unmarked packages arrived at our houses. Chris, what happened to your package? I, I heard you called out the route clearance platoon. I did. Number one, it said Major Christopher Bergeron, and I haven't received mail to Major Christopher Bergeron in four years. And um, immediately I thought that I had popped up on some ISIS mail bomb list. Not and today, I, ISIS. <laughs> so, you so are I bastards. It, I opened I it with much guys. caution to find a, a beautiful blue gift bag. And I'm like, oh, you got a blue gift bag. Oh, so, so got you got a nice bag. one. Well, you see. I received my package and being that squared away devil dog that I was right before I retired, I was current on my anti-terrorism force protection and I had deployed to the AOR. So I, I got my hasty EOD kit. Brett, are you familiar <laughs> with the hasty EOD kit? <laughs> it's, a, it's a 10 foot pole with a hammer on the end of it and a set of earmuffs. Uh, so, <laughs> so I proceeded to push the, uh, the box into a secure location uh, where I opened it and I found not as nice as a blue bag. I had a purple and pink polka dotted bag in mine. 
perfect. Ooh, so so, so was... the traitorous bastard with, with even a level lower. <laughs> when you opened your bag, what'd you find? I found milk chocolate crayons. Chocolate crayons. What and... ass clown would send Marines crayons on the birth of their core? <laughs> it, it, Without I paper, especially. Yeah, <laughs> I, I freaking laughed. I had to laugh. <laughs> Ass off. I died. Christina was like, "Why are you crying?" And I showed them to her, and she goes, "And it, you know, she's a Navy girl, but she understands the whole eating crayons thing." And she was like, "Oh my god, that is funny." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I laughed, and then I started plotting exactly what I'm going to do to that asshole. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, buddy's only half a word. <laughs> exactly. Nice, <laughs> nice work. That was that was well done. I have to say. So uh, don't worry. Uh, there may be a uh, a bag of certain candy coming to you, courtesy of disgruntled <laughs> veterans, or, uh, <laughs> or one of those other things that I can find appropriate. I think to we need to pull out some old things, like some old school crap, like sign him up for a freaking 12 months of Playgirl. Well, no, you, you uh, do like I did. Uh, that's my, old school. If it keeps on giving. I, we, we signed our XL, XL up to a subscription for Cat Fancy magazine while we were on our Westpac deployment. So that's every good. time the corporals would come around and deliver the mail, uh, XO, sir, here's your copy of Cat Fancy. Uh, and yeah, that was never ceased to be a uh, level of humor in the uh, the ready room for that. Yeah, but the anyway, Playgirl was the Playgirl was on one of my first deployments. We had a lieutenant intel officer that decided he was going to become a winged observer. And once he became a winged observer, he liked to boss around all the enlisted crew chiefs. Because so <laughs> now he's somebody. There was much, much revenge that was sent that young lieutenant's way. Yeah, I'm sure there was a lot of shoe polish in cranials and things yep. like that. So, yeah, yeah, he paid. He paid over and over again. So, John, in Air Force comms, what did you guys do? Unplug guys' cell phones from the charger overnight? I mean, how'd you harass guys? <laughs> what did you do to your you teammates know, who were in there? You know, wrong calls or calls in the middle of the night. You know how that, you know, that goes. Uh, uh, we didn't... For, unfortunately, prank too much. I apologize. I didn't. I didn't get out there, and, and I and I feel bad now that I didn't do as much as I could have. We had too much fun with uh, trying to get the the footages right. But yeah. every once in a while, <laughs> you know, not much. I can't tell you. I, I don't have any stories. Oh, it's oh so disappointing because I, I think of how many Sorry. times I I abused the communication system as a uh, oh yeah senior major who had nothing better to do than redirect you know the ready room phone to the XO. Or, exactly. Uh, <laughs> oh no, we did do that. Yeah, we, we, we would always do the, you know, circle the wagons and everybody would forward their phones to everybody, so they just sit in their circle. We've done that before. <laughs> Brilliant. And we tried. And we tried to sell our, tried to sell our bosses a uh, bowling ball one time and the free ads, you know, on the you know stars and stripes, uh, the Lowry liar or whatever it was, you know. The, he says, "Wow, this bowling ball sounds pretty cool. Wait a minute, this is my phone number." And, <laughs> and then, and then, and then, then you know, the the, the big old calendars on on the on the desks if you i'm told i've never done this but i'm told that if you use a really sharp razor you can cut the top part of it and pull the bottom part of it off so it looks like it's really june but it's actually really july dates so when your boss (laughs) is trying to make (laughs) and he starts and he starts arguing with somebody on the phone no tuesday's the 13th it's not the 12th oh my god that's that's ingenious i i so wish i had learned to do that to my uh senior staff officers that would have been fun yeah Yeah. so so there were some shenanigans i I think i had to settle for just changing chris's slides when we were in afghanistan together so we get yelled at by the colonel you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) i don't anything like that it's the current ops guy not at all (laughs) Brett, what did you guys do besides like throw you know Rattlesnakes and people sleeping bags and whatever else rangers find extremely funny. Uh, well, I can't think of any like pranks so much, but I remember it was pretty much standard operating procedure when I was in regiment. My RTO, we called it the field manual. The back of the whatever map we were working off of, of course, it was always laminated stuff, but the backside was usually some, you know, collage of, of favorite you know, favorite porn uh, lady, stuff. shall we say? Yeah, yeah. And uh, my RTO, strangely enough, uh, instead of it being like a montage of all these different, you know, selected images, it was just one image of a woman's ass. <laughs> like the whole map <laughs> it was bigger than life size. I just, you know, I just shake my head like, okay, I mean, whatever. You're like, whatever, man, whatever floats your boat. We, we can handle that here. That's funny. That's right. Well, so one of the things that we're going to talk about is, you know, as 
as veterans who play war games, there's a lot of questions that come up and there's a there's a lot of always emotion kind of tied into veterans uh, issues and, and not always a lot of humor, uh, as at least we're trying to inject. But a couple of the, uh, the people in the Blood Red Skies radio room kind of raised some good points about, you know, when is soon or when is too soon for uh, historical war gaming? Now, obviously, with Blood Red Skies, it's fairly easy for us because uh, there is some date separation between what we're simulating and and uh, what has actually happened. Uh, in a lot of wargaming, there isn't. I know there's a lot of modern wars out there that simulate uh, counterinsurgency actions in Afghanistan and Iraq um, and various other places. Uh, John, what have you seen from a lot of the uh, conventions you've gone to? Because you you go to far more true wargaming conventions <laughs> rather than Brett and I that go to the nerd 30K, 40K kind of these things for Brett, Chris, oh, and I. Everybody's got to get his... his uh is thrill somewhere it's it's uh it's really selective uh it seems like the older crowd doesn't do the world war ii or the vietnam whereas they'll do ancients or uh, uh english civil war there's a guy that i run to all the time at adepticon that he he understands bolt action and knows it but he, he doesn't play it he can't play it because he said i can play you know hell caesar or saga all day, because, you know, maybe I had a great, 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 great aunt or uncle that, you know, was there, but I didn't know him. But if I start doing bolt action, it's pretty, pretty much I'll start thinking about Uncle Jack and Bob and Tom that didn't come back. And I just have to end up in the bar. So he doesn't, yeah. it's a little too soon for him. But other ones, you know, some of these young, young guys out here, they, they, they love this modern op stuff and they, they eat it up. And uh, a friend of mine, uh, uh, Big Will Greenslade, sent me a link last night to, to share with you guys. It's called Battlespace6.org. <laughs> And it's a uh, veterans for veterans camaraderie. Uh, camaraderie. Easy for you to say. You've yeah. had too many drinks already. You're cut That's off. right. Uh, through <laughs> through tabletop gaming, providing a channel for veterans to assimilate. Basically, oh, it's, nice. Yeah, and uh, it's Battlespace Six. Uh, Battlespace, all one word. The number six dot org. You guys can check it out. Yeah, it's, uh, take a look at that. That's pretty. It's cool. pretty cool. Uh, it's it's um, it's one of those things where people talk about when is soon too soon, and and I can understand. You know, 10 years ago, there wasn't a lot of Vietnam games. There wasn't a lot of Afghan games. There wasn't a lot of uh, you know, Iraq. But now, there seems to be they're coming out of the woodwork. And I don't know if it's a, it's the time has passed or it's, it's a th- therapy or something. But it's you're seeing more and more. I mean, Spectre from uh, uh, England comes over to uh, MillenniaCon now and sits with uh, Black Sites uh, Studios. And they do some training. Oh, and I, and I love Black Sites terrain. Their Middle East terrain is freaking awesome. I mean, that terrain alone is enough to get me to start playing modern military. Right. They're, the one that, they're the one that did the full-sized freaking like ship, right? The ship is one oh, yeah, that, yeah. that I still yeah. haven't yeah. ordered. I still I'll, want to find a way to I'll, use that in Dust 1947. Yeah. I want that ship. Yeah, I'll, <laughs> I'll send you pictures from what they did uh, this weekend, this past weekend. They're, you know, four years ago, Connor and Ben were two dudes in T-shirts hanging out at Texacon down in Dallas on a weekend with some uh, Sarissa looking terrain and thinking, you know, we might be able to do this. We got something. And you step forward four years, five years later, and everything happened just right. You know, foreground falls and, and uh, gets renamed. And these kids come up with something that's beautiful, customed, and uh, tailor-made and cheaper. And now they've both quit their jobs. And they do nothing but Black Sight Studio stuff. And they're nice. just... That is good uh, to ben, Yeah, Ben and Connor are great guys. And I look forward to pushing their wares as well when I go around places. You'll <laughs> oh, see. yeah, their stuff's pre-painted too. It's just... Yes, that just yes it is. That sets it up a whole other yeah, it's a, level. It's a mix of pre-painted and some print stuff that's on there. Because like they had yeah. yep. all the... All the Islamic architecture tile and stuff was was printed and glued onto the uh-huh. uh, a lot of their stuff, and it looked awesome. I mean, I was like I said, I was sold, and made me want to go figure out who made a bunch of twenty eight millimeter MRAPs and uh, MATVs and Spectre. <laughs> start doing yeah, all Spe- that. Well, Spectre can do that for you, and so can um, uh, Miniature Building Authority, and then there's always a uh, uh, Empress Miniatures. They make some right. good HM uh, vets and. Uh, they're just—it's phenomenal stuff. Um, yeah, I love that John Wick said they were—they were releasing at Adepticon this year. That yeah. was just crazy. That was—that was nice. Well, my problem is my loyalty really runs to Anvil Industries, and always wanted to find a way to use their uh, their military contractor set because that looked pretty darn cool. Um, but once again, another game system that I don't have time to paint or play. But it's—it's it's one of those things, and I think you know a lot of guys talk about wargaming being therapeutic, and we'll, we'll come back to that in a little bit because. One of the the kind of difficult questions that we've had to you know ask a lot of guys is is you know 
it's easy when you're playing Star Wars or when you're playing 40K uh, to play the bad guys because the bad guys aren't real. Um, but for some people playing the other side, I mean, they, they've got serious moral hangups about that. And that's OK. I mean, there's people that won't play the Luftwaffe in Blood Red Skies because they're the Nazis. And that's well, there's a, you know? well, there's a kid. There's this other kid I run into every once in a while. I'm not going to say his name on, on because I don't want to embarrass the kid. But uh, bless his heart. The kid's smart as a attack, you know, just sharp. <laughs> and uh, he uh, he had an uncle or he had a in-law or somebody in his chain that was in the um, second SS. And uh, he runs second SS and he'll dress up in second SS and he'll show up. And he has the dice and he has the, I mean, he has full on stuff and, he, and, and, and he's doing it to remember his father or his grandfather or whoever it is in his chain. But sometimes he forgets who he's talking to. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and he was, we were standing at an event with two of my friends and, and one's a retired VA doc and one's a, uh, Sergeant major, 30 years plus three IDs. And, uh, uh, and he said something, and we both stopped. And I've never seen the command sergeant uh, just turn and like, "Excuse me, son," and maybe you better leave. And the <laughs> you know, small, unassuming doctor who's got relatives from Poland and his wife's yeah. full Polish and stuff like that. And he goes, "I've never seen him snap." And he's like, "You need to leave." And it was just like, "Holy shit!" Yeah, but the kid well, didn't it, understand what he said, and he just he just didn't get it. You know, exactly. he didn't understand the concept. Yeah. So the, it, and nowadays. We're living in a world that we can do anything we want, say anything we want, but we'll be tied that if I don't like it. And that's what's the problem with some of these games. I mean, uh, I was talking with Alessio and uh, Alessio Cavator a couple of week, a couple of visits ago, and he got the, the rights to Hunger Games, okay? And they sell, uh, River Horse Games sells uh, Hunger Games. But there was a stipulation in the contract that none of the figures could be pointing a weapon. So Katniss's bow is down, or the uh, <laughs> District yeah. 12 guys. It makes it a little difficult for a game about killing. <laughs> yeah, obviously you didn't read the books or watch the movie. So, you know, really? Okay. But it's just, it's one of those things that I, it all boils down, gentlemen, to it's a game. And if yeah. it's getting to you that bad, then you need to go find another game to play. And thank God yeah. we're in the golden age of gaming and you can do that. And, uh, there's board games and there's, you know, role-playing games and there's card games and there's miniature games. And bless your heart, go find something to twist your nut. But uh, well, and, just and that's the thing that I'll tell people is, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff, whether it be American Civil War, whether it be World War II, whether it even be Vietnam or, or modern counterinsurgency. There's always things you can you can find that that could bother you. And I, I say that not trying to be condescending, but I say that as a as a veteran who goes. You know, not everything that that the quote unquote good guys did in in a lot of these things, uh, a lot of these actions was uh, was pristine and above board. But to huh. me, that's history. That's that's understanding that you know war is brutal, and that a lot of times the people giving the orders in the war aren't the ones on the front line experiencing it. So there's there's a little bit of you have to understand: Am I playing a game or am I reenacting history because I want to be like those people that did whatever action it was? Um, and it, I always I just, I just laugh because I don't play Luftwaffe not because I have some moral uh, judgment against flying the Luftwaffe airplanes in blood red skies. It's just I don't like Luftwaffe airplanes that much. I find some of them cool, but I'm a lot more enamored of <laughs> U.S. and British airplanes. I'm allowed to be wrong. That's OK. <laughs> <laughs> I, got a, I, I got a real good uh, a veteran of mine, uh, Paul Andert. He was a uh, uh, second armored World War Two and uh, it's, you know, one of those unassuming guys I ran into, you know, it's a long story, but I ended up meeting him through a, a guy that I was on a battle tour in Holland and through Bastogne. And he said, if you're going to Tulsa, Oklahoma, you got to look these guys up. And it was Al Price and Paul Andert. And these two guys were old World War II vets, and they had started an organization to help go around to all the different schools in the Tulsa area and tell their stories. And they had about 100, 120 guys in the, in, at the time. This is back in uh, 03, 04. And uh, uh, I still keep in touch with them. But Paul Andert, you know, Silver Star, two Bronze Stars, three Purple Hearts, five landings, that kind of stuff, you know, landed in North Africa and ended up in uh, Battle of the Bulge. And he's just a, he's a nice old codger, but he can get be really, really honoring. And he was one of the four guys, if you watch Fury, watch the end credits. He's, they got four infantry, uh, one infantry and three armored guys from the second armor to come tell their stories. And he's the only infantry guy. 
and and he pulled Brad Pitt aside several times and said, "You gotta get dirty." You gotta, he says, "You gotta get dirty first. If you don't yeah. get dirty first, you're gonna lose the war." And and uh, he's a, a proponent of of you know you gotta do it to them before they do it to you. And you, it's it's so funny to watch. Well, not funny, but it's 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 wild to watch the transformation of these guys. When you start talking to them, they they go from somebody's grandfather or or dad into this World War II vet. And it's just the stories they can tell. Uh, and it depends upon what what uh, class they're talking to, because there's some stories they won't tell the young kids, <laughs> but they tell them to older kids. Yeah, uh, exactly. Uh, uh, this one had a story, and I don't mean to be plagiarizing the time here, but this guy flew B- B-26s. He flew Mar- Marauders, and then he flew B-52s afterwards. And uh, he was supposed to be on a milk run, and they were... And you see in the movies, they throw their hamlets in the corner, you know, and you guys are flyers, you know about this, and he has to take a piss. And uh, his piss dude is frozen solid. <laughs> so he can't that piss. Like and he's an emergency. That's a divert. <laughs> right, right, right. So then he, and he didn't want to piss in his, in his thermos. So he just goes ahead and reaches back and grabs one of the helmets and pisses in that, and, you know, 10,000 feet. Shit freezes <laughs> like that, right? So he didn't think he could yep. it. Well, they get over Holland. <laughs> And, and they discover a flak belt that wasn't on the maps. <laughs> so, so shit starts coming up at them, and everybody's grabbing their stuff. And, and all of a sudden, over the over the intercom, this co-pilot is screaming. <laughs> he's just screaming bloody murder. And, and the, 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 the guy I know looks over, because he's the pilot on the mission. He looks over, and this co-pilot's got his forty-five out. And he's waving it around the cockpit, and piss <laughs> is streaming down his face. Who motherfucker pissed in my pot? He said that. I mean, I mean, he said it took him thirty years to finally walk up to the guy at one of the reunions and say, "Man, that was me. I pissed yeah, in your pot." That's 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 the information you take to your grave. You don't. Yeah, you but that's you know, and that's the kind of stories that that that, that you, you love to hear from these old guys and. That guy was walking around those battlefields with uh, Hans Vija. He's written uh, five or six books on, on Bastogne, and he's written a couple on Stalingrad. And he's got a Rolodex of over 500 veterans, and he's got stuff in his uh, 10,000 photographs and, and movies, handheld footage. And it's just that's the stories that, that you don't hear about. Everybody knows about Midway. Everybody knows about Battle of the Bulge. Everybody knows about Bowdoin Plate and the Luftwaffe, but nobody knows about pissing in the helmet at 10,000 feet, you know? That's really? crazy shit, right? You know, yeah, right exactly. now I'm doing Veteran History Project, and yeah. we're actually filming movies. And and this this Friday, I get to film um, with a guy named Orly Van Dyke, whose call sign was Duke, and he was a bombardier um, with a 330th bomb wing who did, he flew 40 missions over Japan. Uh, <sighs> during, he was a, he was a, they were relievers. They came in the second batch. Um, they only encountered one. They only had one air to air air incident because the Japanese were so out of fuel by that time. Mm-hmm. But um, just talking with him and, and in doing this history project, I, I wanted to make myself a better interviewer. So I actually, found one of the Osprey books that's about LeMay taking over um, oh, God, the, yeah. the, B, the B-29 effort. And and I read that book, and then I looked at the back of the book and found the author, and I said, hey, let me let me see if I can find this guy. So I found him. He had a .edu address, and I found out if you've got a .edu and they've got a .edu, they're really likely to talk to you because they think exactly. you're a student or an academic. And um, and he gave me a call, and in and, and, and the first couple of minutes, I said, you know, if you had this guy in front of you, what would you do? And he said, I'll tell you what you don't do. He says, don't try to write history. He said, because the fact of the matter is, it's all been written. He says, we've got when the planes flew, what the missions were, how everything went down, when everybody was, what the XYZs were. He says, what we don't have is, what did you feel like? What did it smell like? What were your feelings? How, what was what was the average mission like for you? Um, what was the difference between a night mission and a day mission for your planning? That type of says. He says, and if you open your questions that way, he says, you will be surprised what falls out and looking for those little details. And I did my second, my second personal interview because you do several interviews because you got to first find out what their story is. Then you got to go back and do some history research and then go back and kind of massage more information out of them and build a plot line so that they can follow it when you do the actual interview. Not because you're trying to put words in their mouth at all, but you're just trying to get as much out of that video interview as you can. And I've found that work. Working with Mr. Van Dyke, it is some of the stories I'm getting are just absolutely freaking amazing. Um, it's, you know, just drinking, um, landing on Iwo Jima and trading things with the Marines. And it's just it's just fascinating when you get that level of history that there really isn't any fidelity to in a history book. 
And um, I think that's that's one of the fascinating things about dealing with these guys. And and that's what it is. This is all personal stories. But what what really made it personal to them and telling those stories is what's important. Well, and that's what that was great about you know the Air Force finally pulled their head out one time and and they went off and they they interviewed a lot of those those guys. And they you know and you can go to down to Maxwell. And you can pull out the the, the, the videos and the movies. And you can watch them. Uh, wasn't that always got me was the old uh i think you got on vhs if you ever look it up but it's about bud anderson and old crow and uh yeah. his mom and dad were upset with him because he put old crow on on his aircraft that's what he drank <laughs> that's what uh, <laughs> uh yeah it was old crow but he talked about one time and this is and and this is what uh i tell the story tomorrow to see cadets and i uh, show them the videos and, and you guys get this too and this is what about veterans day and this is about those old stories but Anderson talks about coming back off of a, a flight uh, late August, uh, 44, and he comes back and he casually mentions to his ground chief, his crew chief, hey, it looks like the snow is starting to snow over there. And he didn't think anything of it. And he goes over to the, to the debrief, there's the debrief shack, puts his name up on the board for the next mission next day, and he goes into the, to the, the, gets changed and goes down and gets some food and he's drinking in the bar, doesn't think anything of it. And, Goes to bed and wakes up next morning, next mission. Goes to the pre-brief, gets his pack, you know, gets his parachute and gets all his papers and walks out to his P-51. And as he gets out there, he stops. And all of his, the, the, the ground chief, head crew chief, and all the guys are standing around his airplane. And they've got these rags in their hands. And, and that rags are red with their blood because they had taken gasoline and scrubbed down his airplane from nose to tail to remove the camouflage so that it would be in winter camo and all silver so that his plane yeah. would be ready for a mission the next day. Nice. And he, nice. You know, 50 years later, this guy's in the interview, and he still starts tearing up because he can see it. And that's just what they did, and that was the dedication, you know? Yeah, you know, and that's one of the things to me, the the neat thing about doing some of the research for the Blood Red Skies scenarios that we've been digging into and just even the the kind of the self-research you do when you go, hey, I've never heard of that airplane. They just came out with a box of them, you know, that there's there's some really cool stories you get out there. And unfortunately, think, faith, right? Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. So that's why I had to put the caveat in there as if anyone actually believed these, these airplanes were really all that named and those are the ones that flew. But but there's some cool stories that that even even when they are after the fact stories and, and reinventions uh -huh. of history, it's a direct representation of the kind of you know strife these guys are going through. You look at the siege of Malta and you had Ooh. to have people that believed in an airplane. I mean, because yeah. They were, yeah. it was pretty darn crappy. You, you know, you were getting bombed. You were starving at some points um, mm -hmm. just because you were the holdout. That was that was a thorn in the side of the axis there in the Mediterranean. One of the one of the guys in the group I was telling you about was a P forty seven pilot in CBI. He flew P forty sevens on ground attack in the 80th squadron, 80th fighter squadron. They developed a lot of our today TAC P stuff, you know, the inner coordination and stuff uh, with the ground troops. But they were, you know, and, and he was in China, Burma, India, so they had to fly everything in. And one time he he goes by this cart full of depth charges. And he's like, what the fuck are depth charges doing in the CBI? <laughs> and, uh, and, and, the, and the head maintenance guy says, don't you worry, pup. We'll take care of this. And what they were doing is they were starting to experiment with that really cool thing called Incentigel. Uh, maybe you've known it as Napalm. Yep. And they're trying to figure out how to knock stuff out of it. The, and they're trying to get these Japanese in the, in, the, in the jungles. But every time they dropped Napalm on them, it, it didn't do anything because everything was dr wet and green and jungly. So what they would do is they'd take these jugs and put depth charges on the wings on the state on the bomb stations and they would fly over to the areas where the japanese were and they would drop these depth charges and they'd surface explode right boom knock everything down three days later they'd come back after all that shit's been in the sun for three days and dried out and ah, then you drop napalm on that shit it works wonderfully at that point <laughs> oh buddy i tell you what so I was like, I never knew that. I never, well, where's that in a book? Because yeah, no, yeah, yeah. we used to fly all the time, you know? I'm like, son of a bitch. That's the kind of stuff. Now you got a research project, you know? But yeah, I was I was talking to Orly and I said, you know, your name's your your plane's name Cinnamon Journey. It's named after a Doris Day song. I was like, I gotta admit, you know, most of the the nose art that I'm seeing in the B twenty nine and the B seventeen community, especially in the Pacific, was pretty racy. You know, why were you guys so turned back? And he, just, he says, you got to remember. And this is so awesome. He goes, you got to remember, we were a replacement crew. 
So what happened to us, he said, is when the first of the bombers were completing their missions with the B-29s, they instantly flew those guys back to the States to do war bond tours. Yep. So here's, here's a plane like Double Exposure, which is a, a girl with her freaking trench coat open and both the boobs falling out. And and he goes, he says, when that stuff started showing up at the freaking war bonds rallies, he says, immediately the word came down from headquarters, stop painting girls on planes. <laughs> yeah, because no one can sap morale like the United States Air Force. Exactly. It was neat seeing how that, you know, just learning when that evolution took place. And obviously when we get to Korea, that stuff, it it flipped back the other way. But um, because people stopped paying attention, there weren't war bound rallies anymore. But it was it was neat just hearing why there was that change and, and understanding that those guys were dealing with some of the things. Hell, I remember when we were told not to stop, but to stop painting girls on airplanes. And I think it was our first deployment in 92 because we got the first batch of females at sea um, with the Navy. And we, we had to stop doing it. So it was, it's just we, we had to be very careful changes. with the, the stuff that we had uh, going into Afghanistan, because obviously the helicopters had been doing missions for a while and uh, yeah. they had a lot of panel art on the uh, on the side of the 46s uh, by the uh, crew chief door there. And a lot of that stuff got edited, you know, so you know, they put it on the B1, don't you? Why do I they care? It, What's a B1? No, well, I'm kidding. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, Those guys are in the nosebleed section. Yeah, yeah. But they uh, they have nose art on the B1s, but they put it in the front wheel well. Nice. So you only see it when the wheel's down. <laughs> so they, they, they got some pretty cool shit in those wheel wheels. <laughs> oh, I can imagine. <laughs> when it's that's closed smart. up, man, you can't see shit. Yeah, yeah, that's that's kind of like came out speed brakes for the same reason. They, they told us mid-deployment what we couldn't do anymore. And um, it basically it was you could have stuff that was on your plane that was tasteful and tasteful was actually defined in writing Marine Corps stationery. And one of the crew chiefs went out and he had he had one of the guys paint like a muumu dress on the girl that was on his airplane. And he changed the name of his plane to Plain Jane. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, nicely done. Uh. Yeah, leave it to aviators to pretty much give everyone the finger when uh, they're told what to do. So that's kind of a good thing. So we started painting girls on the inside armor on the 46s. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah, the applique on the on the right side door is where I saw a lot of stuff, but it was was kind of funny. So one of the other things I want to talk about is that there, as we're we're saying a little bit of, you know, cathartic uh, play of war games, um, you know, to to either. Uh, find a way to bond with other veterans or, or just find something that's military related, but is, you know, slightly less unproductive than some of the other things we could do. Um, you know, I think for me, a lot of it is it's fascinating to explore what I'll call war without consequences, to be able to refight even some pretty rough and horrific actions um, and, and to be able to look at those tactical decisions and understand maybe just how lucky we were in some of uh-huh. these things that what we think of is, as history that was written and um, and it was set in stone really was a couple lucky things and some really hard people making some hard decisions. And I think Midway is one of those, a great example of that. I know, Chris, you've been doing a lot of reading. Um, I haven't been reading ahead yet for getting ready for the Midway box set. Um, but there's, there's, to me, a lot of going back at, to, and looking at history. And I think uh, I know the guys on No Dice, No Glory uh, showed a really good uh-huh. example of this the other day. I think it was yesterday. Uh, where a refighting of the Iran-Iraq war, and it was all the political infighting, all the, the what was the, the level of tolerance for casualties? You know, how much could you let your fellow Iranians or Iraqis die to make a political point or to um, achieve your, your aims in destabilizing all the other factions while still beating your enemy, who was the other country? Um, and, and I think there's, there's an element of that that allows veterans to go back into process how how things happened historically without having to watch the real documentary or watch the real footage again to, to see those kind of things. I don't know what you guys think. Well, Mitch and Troy always do a good job of the, of the research and, and I always like doing stuff with the, uh, no, that's not glory. It's great. Um, you know, you know where Mitch works, right? Oh yeah. I, I went uh, to work with him. So <laughs> yeah, good for you. Cause I mean, that, 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 there's your dream job right there. Right. And, and he's really pushing the <laughs> blood red skies in the, in the Pentagon now. And I, and I think it's rightly so. And I've met a lot of drivers that, that love the game, but 
It gives you a chance to refight things. You're always going to run into that grognard that comes up and says, oh, you got the wrong Prussian blue, and, and oh, you've got the wrong rivets, and we even got them now with the wrong rigging and the wrong sails on our Black Sea stuff now. I mean, my God, people are... Well, I figured actually, like everyone else for Napoleonics that, you know, oh, God, I, I yeah. the wrong plume in that hat. I don't yeah. care. Well, look, it's, we've been on campaign for six months, you know, it's going to fade. <laughs> but uh, unless you're going to fight Gredingsburg and you're going to be the Union and I'm going to be the Confederates and I'm going to lose because that's the way it was and you fight it exactly the same... All these are a cathartic way to try something different. What happens if Pickett didn't charge that way? He charged this way, or what it could have, should have stuff. And that's where the the fun of the, the, the war gaming, I think, comes in as well. I saw recently a really interesting. It was actually a video. It was a panel discussion between a bunch of uh, acclaimed authors and uh, World War II historians, actually, and uh, they were talking about counterfactual history now that really until <sighs> in, until now that's only something that's only uh, really been able to be more easily discussed because there's enough time separation you know between yeah. the event and the actual historians that are doing the research and stuff where we're separated enough where there's not a lot of uh, investigator bias I guess you know we can we can maybe be a little more objective and, and not be uh, maybe morally impinged i guess by you know doing what if scenarios where you know maybe what we would otherwise view as the bad guys uh do um you know do something that makes them this the successor in whatever the the battle might be or whatever so i thought that was kind of an interesting observation they discussed that a little bit in this panel i was watching and and the context of it was uh, about midway actually but i thought it was kind of neat it maybe kind of relates to what you're saying there that maybe we've come of an age now where there's enough separation, at least from like world war two, where playing the games and, and exploring that maybe almost from a counterfactual, uh, history, historical standpoint, it's, uh, it's not, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, there's nothing it's wrong not with taboo that anymore. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's, that's yeah. Word, yeah. And, and I think, I think one of the tough things though is, is social media being what it is. There's always going to be that person who, if, if you're either demonstrating that, Hey, we got really lucky at Midway and it was these three bad decisions that that uh, led the Japanese to lose or um, you're saying, hey, I'm replaying counterinsurgency things. And if only the Americans had taken a scorched earth policy in 2004 in Iraq, it would have changed things. Uh, there's always going to be somebody that's going to stand up and wave the patriotism flag and yell and scream at you. And that's unfortunate because I, I think the the purpose of history is to continually be in revision because you're always yep. going to be able to go back and dig up more details and and step back and analyze it with a little bit less emotion as time goes on. Um, and, and we know we didn't get stuff right. We, I use the example we talked about in Mig Alley, the, uh, the kill ratios that were absolute bullshit. They yeah. were outright yeah, yeah. lies on both sides. You know, it was who could tell the bigger lie. Um, but we in the U.S., we believe that lie. And, and I hate to say it that, you know, we even had the whole OODA loop creation because of the numbers yeah. of that lie, which it's, yeah. a, it's a great theory that uh, that Colonel Boyd came up with. But the problem is it was founded in numbers that were absolute bullshit. Um, uh -huh. and, and now that we can come back and look at it and go, holy crap, we we didn't do as well as we thought. Uh, and oh, by the way, those were really Russian pilots. I think that actually uh -huh. is a is a much more important historical lesson uh, than, oh, look how great we were as the Americans beating up these people that could barely fly a jet, which wasn't the fact at all. And that's well, why, I mean, that's when, when me and Steve did research for the Bolt Action Korea book, we wanted to put a lot of that in there. So that's, you know, it is a big ass book, but we had to, I think people, Korea, it just, you know, the project started three years ago when we finally got it on the shelf and, and we're pretty proud of it. And people are, it, and it's funny, people are starting to ask questions about that. And well, you know, if you play all the scenarios, it, it, it seems they're not they're, they're not equal. They're not, well, did you ever read anything about Korea? <laughs> oh yeah. And then the second the second the second scenario is Ivan needs your help. There's three there's three scenarios in that book that are that are hypothetical. Uh, uh, the first one is called uh, Ivan needs your help, and it's about a crashed uh, communist aircraft. And uh, if the communists get there first, great, they get the guy there. But if the Union United Nations forces get there first. It may be a Russian pilot, and then that cracks the whole right. thing. The, the yeah. second one we that we did is called Nukem to Your Glow, and uh, uh, we discovered in our research when the the uh, uh, I'm I'm sorry, I'm, again I'm just uh, you got me started talking and I'm <laughs> loaded, so here we go. Um, when the Truman 
administration left and the Eisenhower administration took over, they had some discussions and they, and they, they were scared of the Red Menace. And uh, they decided at that time that they were going to try to contain it as best they could. So they took... At that time, the United States had 48 nuclear assets. That's all we had. That's everything. 48. They took 24 of those and stationed them on Guam, just in case things went bad in Korea or anywhere else in the Pacific. So half the nuclear arsenal of the United States was placed within striking distance of Korea. Yeah, and if yeah. Chip Yong-ni, which is the Gettysburg of Korea, would have went the other way, they would have started lighting those fuckers up, and it would have been yeah. all over, and it would have been a long winter. But oh, we yeah. didn't know until we found it, you know? Well, yeah. and there's there's even some of the cool NSA missions that happened around the time of the Korean War, where there's a lot of shoot downs and things that that were classified as happening in Korea and actually happened in Russia, <laughs> you know, happened yeah. over over Russian intel sites, uh, <laughs> you know, in their own country. And, and a lot of the the really interesting pieces that we're now digging through that I think if if 20 years ago you'd walked out and said, um, I want to I want to produce a war game like squad leader and I want it to be about us illegally entering Russian airspace and shooting down their uh, their intel assets that are trying to monitor what's going on in Korea. Y- you know, people would would have lost their minds. But yeah, now this is separation. The Rangers jumping out of RB-29s across the northern border. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there, there's there's a lot of stuff that went on that people don't know. And it's, it's always going to be in that that way in, in war. But it's it's fascinating now where we can talk about these things as they've become declassified yeah. or they've become uh, no longer taboo to talk about. Um, but there's still some things that are always uh, so emotional. You know, people don't want to, they really don't want to deal with it. You know, they don't want to yeah. talk about, you know, civilian casualties and a lot of the airstrikes uh, in North Korea, because a lot of it, uh, as we've talked about doing our B-29 research, there were times that they got close to the target and said, screw it. There's too many MiGs jettisoned their weapons and yep. went home. You know, yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. oh, yeah. we're, we're not getting any closer because it's just stupid. We can see how many there's, you know, 40 or 50 MiGs right. circling. So, yeah. Well, with, you know, with Midway coming out here next year, I mean, I, not to turn it into a, a book report podcast, but I really encourage people to go out and read. There's a book called Shattered Sword, and it is a deep, deep dive by some American academics, historians into what really happened at Midway. What's the real story of Midway? Because the fact of the matter is a lot of the accounts of Midway were based on one fighter pilot from Japan's recollections in the 60s. And they go through the reasons why he would himself have wanted to paint the Battle of Midway that way and uh, to set up the Japanese Navy's failings on a couple of lucks, you know, things that happen per chance, you know. And these guys go through from an American point and, and basically they unravel all that. And these guys get down to the level of deck cycles for airplanes, oh, yeah. um, loading yep. manuals of where ordnance was actually loaded by the type of, of Japanese carrier because there was differences between carriers. They basically dispel every myth. If you've watched the movie Midway, not the new one. I haven't watched it yet, but I've heard it basically it's a rehash of the old one. And in, in the old one, everything look, look, when it has no wildcats and is full of SPDs, then it's it, it, worse exactly. than a rehash of the old one. <laughs> it, 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 <laughs> so I'll, it, I'll go it, see it for the fun it, of it. But if you see Japanese carriers that are stocked full of zeros, um, I can tell you that basically historically we've proven that have that didn't happen. Um, at most, there was like three airplanes on the deck. Um, but he, they go through and they unravel it. And they even said that, you know, we don't expect people to like this story because this isn't the story Americans themselves want to remember about Midway. That we want to remember Midway as this super epic David versus Goliath turning point of the war. And these guys basically go through and they're not doing it in a disrespectful way. They're doing it in a let's tell the truth kind of way. The fact of the matter is the Japanese had this big invasion force. And even if they had taken Midway, we, we had so many troops on Hawaii that they would have never held Midway for very long. Yeah, and the, yeah. the fact <laughs> of the matter is there, there's no way that even if, even if their fleet, they had left Midway with their carriers intact, we were, we were producing Essex carriers so fast that it, it was just a law of averages. I mean, we, we were going to overcome them. <laughs> and that was and all they, of World War II, you know, absolutely. writ large. No one, people don't think about it. One of the first stats I learned playing squad leader years ago was that the U.S. produced more Sherman tanks in one month in 1943 than Germany produced of the Panzer IV in their entire yeah. time. So, yeah. you know, you, I mean, you I, take two tanks and you, you just, you, you're not going to win at that point. It's a sheer the, war of attrition. The fascinating thing about getting into history at that level is that you you learn debunk in your own brain some of the myths. And I think that's, for me, that's been really fun. 
um, understanding the Japanese. I mean, you get especially with Shattered Sword, you get such a deep understanding with the Japanese Navy worked. I didn't understand the infighting between the Japanese Navy and the Japanese Army. Oh yeah, oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I knew it existed, but I didn't know that they kept Yamamoto on the damn freaking battleship because they were afraid he was going to be assassinated. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's really fascinating. I I would encourage people, especially with Midway coming out. Go out and read some of those those sources are out there. Shattered Sword's been out for for a good long time, but I can tell you what it's a it's a it's a wonderful read, and um it it'll really paint a make no bones. What was done at Midway by the American Airmen was just epic. Those guys were just brave, brave sons of bitches. But on the other end of the spectrum, the Sea Eagles that flew for Japan were some brave bastards too, and they. They just had things kind of go against them that day. But it I think that that's the one of the things that we need to realize when we're doing historical war games. When you're replaying a battle like Midway or you're replaying a battle, I mean, you're playing, replaying Cactus Air Force versus Rabal. You're not playing this on a patriotic level. You really shouldn't be playing the game that way. It's more of a mm-hmm. that playing against that playing. Um, I think we, sometimes we forget, and I think sometimes I think the veterans remember more civilians even do that at a base level those are just guys serving their country <laughs> yeah yeah well <laughs> whether they're and, germans and, japanese freaking i'll even go so far as to say iraqis or freaking iranians yeah, or whoever well, they and, are and, and, yeah i've extrapolated to that point i made yeah. the, the comment in the blood red skies or any of them i'm like hey man if someone wants to play modern games i'll be the guy to play the taliban or the insurgents i got it i'm mm-hmm. not i'm not worried it doesn't it doesn't offend me because uh, i guess i I grew up for my first ground conflict because I obviously went flu in Kosovo um, in the late 90s. But my first ground conflict was I am old. (laughs) I'm that old guy. I'm so old, I actually bombed white people. So, (laughs) but uh, I, uh, my first ground operation was Afghanistan. But how did I study for Afghanistan? Well, I read The Bear Went Over the Mountain and I read The Other Side of the Mountain. So, the Mm -hmm. two accounts of the Russian and the Muj tactics. And so, there's a point where you have to be able to, in a sense, do like you would in a war game. You put the hat on, you go, I'm going to be the bad guy. And I'm going to look at this strategic and this tactical situations um, through their eyes. And and that doesn't mean you're accepting their moral values or, or whatever, you know, might offend people. The fact is you're sitting there going, if I'm a Russian tank commander and I have two villages in front of me, one I can drive around, one I will have to drive through. Let's figure out what the option is here. I'm not going to take I don't want the scorched earth policy as as much uh, as that retribution may be good. Um, but, you know, it's 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 one of those things. I think we have some some separation, fortunately, for a, a lot of stuff we play, uh, but maybe not for some of the new uh, some of the more current things, uh, operations, and things like that out there. The the one last thing I did want to talk about was at least the good thing with Blood Red Skies is because it is such a beer and pretzels kind of game, and I'm sorry, Andy's probably going to take offense that I say that again, um, because the the level of detail has been lowered. Um, I think there's it's easier for people to go in and not feel like they're, they're blitzing London. They're not bombing civilians or they're not necessarily bombing civilians in Malta. There's it's it's been taken to a level that a lot of it's it's very simplified. It's it's really dealing with individual aircraft actions out there. Um, and it's not going to playing games like Luftwaffe or Battle of Britain or something where you have to make strategic decisions about, um, you know, am I going to bomb the cities or am I going to bomb the airfields? And, and people might have, you know, moral compunction about not not making those decisions in a war game. Um, but but that's the nice thing with Blood Red Skies is it's it really gets it back to the man in the box uh, or woman in the box uh, kind of uh, kind of fighting that it's all about the individual and about the decisions they make um, in the in the dogfights and in the aerial engagements. Yeah, well, here's, here's an interesting question that comes out of that. How how, for instance, if you know, John, how, for instance, does do the Blood Red Skies guys plan on dealing with the Battle of Okinawa and Kamikazes? Not a clue, but I'll ask Andy next month. I mean, that's but, that's uh, just an interesting thing. I mean, I can see real moral function against freaking wanting to see a kamikaze card in the game. But the fact of the matter mm-hmm. is, it's it's historical it's tactic. It's historical. It's something that happened, just like uh-huh. the Russians. Ter- you know, the Russians were the ones that came up with Terran, um, and you know, ramming airplanes, and it it where you know i i'm just i that i think would be a a, a neat nut to crack how do we deal with that one I, for me it's easy to deal with i i think the 
poor well, Japanese it's probably did it for brave motherfuckers. Well, <laughs> I, I think it's probably easy for you to deal with it because you've studied it. And so, you yeah, know, the, exactly. the interesting thing yeah. for me, and, and you don't get a feeling for this in standard American history, and I'll pick on the American educational system here. Um, but a good friend of mine who's um, one of the, the pilots in an Asian country that I work with uh, for my day job, um, he has always been a huge Nipponophile, Japanophile, whatever you want to say. Oh. And, he's, and he's from a country that got horribly oppressed by Japan in World War II. Um, but the fact is, he's, he's always loved the Zero. He's loved, you know, the Val. Japanese aircraft always fascinated him. But he made a really good post a while back sharing the comments of a lot of the kamikaze pilots, um, the last letters they wrote and things like that, where there were some that were patriots to the end that said, absolutely, I'm doing my duty for the emperor. And there were others that said, you know what? The war's over. If I got to pick a way to go, Maybe this is a better way than, you know, just getting bombed into oblivion um, here on on the airstrip. But I really don't think I like the emperor this much, you know. And so it, yeah. it was fascinating to me to, to sit there and read the the accounts of the guys who went and did what what I think of as actually a pretty brave action, um, even though it's an act of desperation. And some people would call it cowardice, whatever. Apply your own moral judgments however you want. Yeah. Um, but but the fact is, reading their accounts, that not everybody all agreed with it. Just like you read the accounts of Americans, and not all of them agreed with some of the firebombing we did. Not all of them nope. agreed with um, some of the strategic bombing campaigns. So it, it it really brings the human element back, which is a good thing, I think. Yep. Got to agree. Yeah. I mean, I read the accounts of Sabora Sakai. I just read, and that's another book I'd highly recommend to people. Um, yeah. Samurai. But just what Sakai went through, being shot in the head, um, yeah, being left for dead, <laughs> flying all the way home to Rabal, being so injured, um, blinded in one eye that basically he was relegated to a desk job and and training other pilots. And then when the war came to an end, he was they basically said, you're going to be a kamikaze. And, and he said, sign me up. And then hearing how that went for him and then the fact that he didn't have to sacrifice himself in that way. But learning about him after the war and him flying to America and actually meeting the freaking gunner that freaking raked his airplane with 30 caliber fire and shot him in the head and him bowing to him and giving him a hug and, you know, literally burying that hatchet. I'm burying that sword. And and I think that is one of the commonalities that we can find that that can help us understand why wargaming is important. It's kind of well, important. Eric Carmen, yeah, Eric Carmen. You know, in his book, Blonde Knight, talked about, you know, yeah. half, only half the book is his exploits. The other half of it is the 10 years he spent in that freaking gulag. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's, That's the stuff, too. you know. Yeah. Or um, uh, A Higher Call. My wife just read that. I haven't read it yet. But that's the story of the um, the American B-17 crew that was shot up by flak and escorted out of the country by, by German. the top German aces. And he said yep. that I was always trained that you don't shoot a man in his parachute and that, that that's dishonorable. And he said the he said shooting this airplane down was was the moral equivalent of shooting that entire crew in their parachute. And he escorted them out of the country. So the German flak batteries wouldn't shoot at the freaking Americans as he was escorting them out. And the story of those two meeting after the war and becoming fishing buddies, him and the pilot. I mean, it's you, you got to remember in the end, these are soldiers. These are airmen. These are, doing these the are duty, men huh? doing their duty. And in the end, they've found ways to have peace with the situation. So I don't, I don't, I think war gamers might exaggerate that a little bit too much. And I don't think it's the older war gamers that do it. I think it's some of the younger ones. Yeah. And if you That's don't like it, go play 40K. You can That's have all right. your space marines. <laughs> go play magic. <laughs> exactly. Go play magic. Go play something that doesn't have to be deodorant to play magic. Hey, that's brilliant. That's right. Yeah. Well, I awesome. got something that my kids will be able to take with them, you know, after I'm gone. They'll be able to pick up something I painted and say, my dad painted this, and this is what, then here's yeah. the story about it. And that's how we live on, my friends. That's how we live on. Yeah, yeah that's true. Well, I think that's going to probably do it for our time tonight. John, thanks for coming on. Thanks for uh, talking about a wide variety of issues all the way. From- I was all over the place. You just, yeah. just get a couple of drinks of me. I'm ready to roll. No, I'll, that's be your, good. I'll, I'll be your backstop whenever you need me. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're always gl- glad to have you on. And you were not our last choice. You were actually our first choice. Because we, <laughs> well, thanks, we knew that we needed we needed a uh, veteran we could beat up on that uh, that probably wouldn't uh, wouldn't come back and send us you know chocolate uh, crayons and things like that. <laughs> like right. Brett, that <laughs> right. we're, still, we're still the young force. That's right. We're yeah. still babies. <laughs> well, you know, when one day you guys will grow up and you can join the That's military right. like the rest of the family. That's right. That's right. We're living in tent. <laughs> oh. <laughs> like so we always say things. about the Air Force. <laughs> That's right. Uh, but no, I want to thank uh, thank you for coming on. Brett, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. I was just going to say, we should always yell, get your hands out of your 
pockets private. You're not in the Air Force, you know. <laughs> yeah, and, and as you say that, I'm standing in my study with my hands in my pockets. <laughs> Undisciplined fucks. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I threw my have another. <laughs> oh, well, that's awesome. Well, I was glad to share the podcast with you guys. Uh, Chris, Brett, any last minute parting shots? No, I'm just looking forward to seeing seeing the JU-88s when they come out. If anything yes. you can do when you sneak over to England to, sure, um, to score priority some one. of those, you just let us know because Brett's going to paint them up pretty. Uh, priority one. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, thank you very much. And I'd like to encourage everyone to go out and uh, comment on the podcast there on Facebook. Also, uh, take a look at the website. We've added a couple changes. We've put some of the scenarios, some of the new cards and some of the ace cards out there. So take a look at that. Give us your feedback and tell us what you think about the effort that we're putting into Malta. Because one of these days we'll get Airstrike released and then all of our Malta scenarios will be ready to play and we'll be ready to go forward with the next project for Midway. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. 